Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Now we're going to talk about our series in 1 Thessalonians. This is one of the last times we'll speak in Thessalonians. We've been there for, this is the 12th week, believe it or not. And looking at these two books, if you'll turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I'll meet you there. Now, the series is called Never Give Up, and next week we're going to, I'm very excited about next week's uh, learning time because uh, I've looked at a number of passages that how we can help each other negotiate just the theme of endurance, you know, the, the marathon of life, and some principles that the Bible gives us to help us and motivate us to end well, to run our life, our, our lives in a way that we are living without regret or remorse, and we finish, we finish all the way. Really looking forward to that this week. Nah, not so much, but anyway, I'm <laughs> just kidding. Thank you, Elena. Um, this week, we're looking at Paul's goodbye. Six verses, very compressed with emotion and affection towards this church. This is one of the, might be his first letter that he ever wrote to a church. And he, you can tell, not just throughout the letter, but also in, this, um, in his adios here, that he, he has a paternal father-to-child uh, love and care towards them, uh, towards this band of brothers, this, this group of believers in, in this kind of a hostile environment called Thessalonica. And in this, when I, I just kept staring at it and looking at uh, most uh, churches or pastors, when they look um, in the, and they teach in this series, they just leave this end off because it looks like it's filled with kind of throwaway lines, and they're not. And, and the more I stared at it, I realized that in these in these three paragraphs, your Bible might have paragraphs break, it, it talks, Paul is talking to us not just about, you know, how to say goodbye, but how, how to be a church. He's going to tell us how to pray. He's going to give us a template of a great example of what it's like to, to pray fully for someone. He's going to tell us how we should be as a church, and then, and then finally how to hope, okay? And that's what we're going to see. If you'll listen for those three things when we read it, I think that will help uh, draw out some of the words that we'll be listening for and, and spending more time on in just a few minutes. We're looking for how to pray more effectively for the people that we love and care for, how to act as a church, and how to hope. Let's look at that now in verses 23 through 28. Now may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you, he is faithful and he will do it. Now, brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now, before we talk about how to be a church, now that I've explained what we're going to do, could I distract you for just a moment? Because I want you to see first things first. It seems rather obvious, but it was a monumental, paradigm-shifting, world-changing set of words here that Paul talks, out of, talks about when he talks about God. Before we talk about a church, I want you to see how Paul is talking about the greatness and the beauty of God. He, I, I say that because he says it twice, and he says it right at the beginning. He says in verse 23, may God himself, the God of peace, may God himself, the God of peace, 
sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, your body, or soul and body be blameless and be kept to the Lord Jesus. And the one who calls you, oh, he, he is faithful and he will do it. So let's talk about God before we talk about the church, shall we? Because, because this, this idea of the God of peace is something that must have been foreign to Paul and, and probably you in your life as well. Because, because peace means the absence, I guess in a negative way, it's, it's the absence of turmoil or frustration or anxiety. It means tranquility. It, it, it means peace. Uh, in relational context, is that's what he's talking about. Friendliness, content, you're at rest. And, and this is Paul, the apostle, but he's talking about God in this way, the God himself, the God of peace. Because Paul in his life, he never had peace with God. It wasn't until Paul, it wasn't until, uh, Paul was riding along on a mission from God and he was blasted off his horse by God himself and, and spoken to. Because, because Paul, Paul did what most of us naturally do, and every religion in the world is promoting this, that we can earn peace with God. We can uh, cons- console him with our activities and our actions. We will do things to pacify him. And listen, Paul's biography, at least part of his biography, is written in, in a book um, that he wrote to the Philippians in the third chapter. And he says, guys, I was... <laughs> I was playing and I was winning. You know, as he was, born to the, he was born into the chosen people. He said he was a Jew, right? But he wasn't just any Jew. He was from one of the two tribes that could still specifically identify their tribal heritage. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was baptized, or I'm sorry, not baptized. He was circumcised on the eighth day. Hebrew, he says, I'm the Hebrew of Hebrews. The law, I taught the law. Zeal, really, Zeal, I was the witness and served as the witness for the first persecution unto death in the Bible for a Christian. When Stephen is stoned, Paul is the witness to that stoning, basically saying, yeah, it's good. We're good with this. And, and no matter how much he did for God, it was like he had perfect pitch, you know, that you can hear the notes in your head, the absolute notes, and he had perfect pitch morality-wise. He said that as opposed to, right, as, as it addresses righteousness, right, sinless. But what happens? I mean, he's doing all the right things, but his soul is crying out because it, the, the, the curse of perfect pitch, if you have a friend with that, is they don't hear the notes that are hit, they hear the ones that are missed. And so while all these things that he was doing, what is he hearing? He's hearing his pride swell, his vanity become cancerous. He's, he's watching his soul digress while his resume expands. And he, no matter what he does and no matter how hard he tries, he can't fight the fact that his soul is at war with God. He reads the Ten Commandments, and he's nine out of ten, he thinks, and then the last one is, I shall not covet, and then, it's soon, and then he starts coveting everything. He, he writes about himself. There's no place safe for him. And then, again, the, the story goes that he's on his way to a new persecution, and the Lord intervenes and knocks him off a horse and says, Saul, Saul, why? His original name was Saul. Why do you persecute me? He went the wrong way. He went to a, to, a, to an, it seems like it's a never-ending road that leads to hell, I guess, eventually, if there's an end to it. 
You can't get to God that way. And Paul calls, Paul has peace with God, not because of what he's done, but because what God has done for him. He realized then, in, in retrospect, he said, he, he finds out that he has to have a gift, a gift of salvation, not an earning of salvation. He, he writes to a church in, Corinthians, in Corinth, and he says, there had to be some kind of great exchange, and the one who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That Jesus, the righteous one, had to have all the sin lumped on his shoulders, and he became that sin so that it would be dealt with so that we could inherit the righteousness at his resurrection. The only way to have peace with God is for God to be a God of peace. The only way we can have peace with God is if God intervenes and makes something out of the mess called our lives. We give him a contaminated, polluted life and soul. He gives us a new soul, the soul of Jesus Christ himself. And I, I mean, I, I, I just, I want you to stop and ask yourself, can you say like what Paul says in Romans chapter 5, for now we have peace with God through, through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you say that? Are you still like, you still think coming here is going to get you points with him? Do you think doing good is going to make it? If you're still in that like system, you don't have peace with God. Paul says God himself, the God of peace, because he had an experience of surrendering, trying, and just getting it done by receiving a gift of forgiveness. How about if you've never done that, if you've never made that choice, let's, let's do that today. Okay, we'll pray that towards the end of our learning time together. But you, need to, you, need to, you have to address this way of having peace with God. Paul, Paul just rolls this out. Maybe uh, you, you might skip over that, but it was absolutely life-changing for him to finally have peace with God. Are you at war with God? Are you in, in, in difficulties with God? Here's how it happens. God himself does something. All right. Now, let's get back to the original subject, how to church, how to pray effectively, how to act as a church, and then finally, you know, how we should hope. When we talk about praying, I, I, again, I, I'm going to talk at elemental things because I think sometimes when you look at it too long, you have contempt towards it. So let's just, let's, let's just review what prayer is. Let's how to, he's going to give us an example, a model of great prayer, but I want us to just stop for a second and say, what is prayer again? Here's how we can pray for each other. What is prayer? Prayer is when you talk to God for some, about someone else, it sounds simple enough, okay? But you go to the king of the universe, the creator of all things, and you say, Lord, I have in, envisioned in my mind for this human being something that I think that you need to, to inter, like crash his life for him. And, and I think there is, honestly, there are very few things that I can even imagine that are a kinder and more loving than for you to talk to God about another person. And I think that sometimes if we, if we go to church for too long, we just think, yeah, hey, will you pray for me? Yeah, God, I'm going to pray for you. Yeah, okay. I'm not going to pray for you. Yeah. It's funny that yeah, sometimes I'll be running with some friends and we'll go to dinner or lunch somewhere and it just it's happens just spontaneously. We'll, we'll be having, we'll, we'll, we're going to pray for the meal and thank God for the way he's provided for us. And, and one of the people at the table will say, hey, you know what, to the waiter or waitress will say, hey, um, 
we're going to be talking to God about being grateful. Can we pray for you? And here's my point. I have found that the people that understand the profundity of, of talking to God about you are the people that don't go to church because I can, I can just so many times, maybe even more often than not, that the waiter or waitress kind of steps back and says, you are going to pray for me? Well, yeah, we're just going to have a, I mean, we're going to just thank God. Again, we're cavalier about it. We're going to thank God and we're going to bring you up if you'd like. Is there something we can pray for? And I'm telling you, they just go, wow, you're going to talk to God about me. I, we are, if you tell us what to pray. One of the, I think the last time we prayed for someone, she just started tearing up. She was choking it back because she was at work. And she said, I miss my mom. She's 25 years old, right? She's a grown-up. I miss my mom. She's sick. She's not well. There's nothing I can do about it. I just miss her. We're going to pray for that. It is, you are talking to God. You are envisioning what a person could be, and then you're discussing this with, with the almighty creator of the universe. And so, um, so you should pray for a job. Absolutely. Don't get me wrong. That's, a, that's good, okay? Uh, you should pray for your children or your loved ones or a friend to have a life partner, you know, a, a mate, you know, a husband or a wife, or maybe to start with a boyfriend and girlfriend. Good. Okay. Got it. You know, safety. I'm in it. I, I pray for those things. We pray for those things. What I want you to see today, because Paul's prayers remind me, my wife and I, we look at these prayers and say, we got to pray like this guy prays. Because he prays deeply profound things about the human soul. That's what I want you to see. I want you to see that he wants this, the, the people of Thessalonica, he wants their, their whole souls to be made perfect, and he wants them to be restful knowing that God's going to do it. That's the kind of prayer this guy prays. I, we, we want to pray this way. Look at verse 23 and 24. Well, I'll read it. May God himself, may the God of peace sanctify, right, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you, he is faithful and he will do it. You see how he's talking about changing your entire life? He's talking about a qualitative and quantitative hope for you. And, and he says it twice, right? He doesn't repeat it. He actually restates it. He says, look, I want you to be sanctified through and through. We'll look at that. And then he says, I want your spirit and soul and body to be kept blameless. Sanctify means to be set apart um, from contaminants. Right, and so, but it's it's more purposeful than that. It's not just for protective custody. It is set apart. Sanctify means set apart to bring you to perfection, and I would even add this taint to it: to be uniquely you. In other words, it's not generically, hey, we you know set apart through and through that we'd be perfect and purposefully, but that you would. That God has an individual name for each and every one of us. And, his, and what his ambition here in this prayer is to bring us towards that name. Who we could have been if we'd have never been contaminated. If we'd have never committed a sin. That's who we could be. And that's what he means through and through. And then in the second part where he says that your whole spirit and soul and body would be kept blameless. And the idea of the, the word picture for kept is to be guarded, 
You know, that somebody is, is being the centurion that's, that's, that's guarding the innocence of your soul so that it would be presented blameless at the coming when you see Jesus, whether he comes or whether you go and see him, whatever that might be. And he wants you to be blameless. I mean, with, without any error, without any vile or, or contaminant, whatever it might be. This is, this is kind of Paul praying the Lord's Prayer. Remember, you might know the Lord's Prayer where he says, uh, deliver us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, right? Deliver us not from temptation, right? De- into temptation. Deliver us from all the tempting things and then protect us from evil. Paul's saying that, that you would be kept, your spirit and soul and body would be kept blameless until that day. How do you pray for others? This is a great way to pray. This is, this is a great way to pray for your children. You, you can pray that they go to college or get a girlfriend in high school that would be good for them, whatever it might. Okay, good. Let's pray that they could be alone without being lonely. Let's, let's pray these deeper things in our lives that would be reflective of our, our fate, our destiny with God, and that is to be presented to Christ blameless and sanctified. Can you envision you or your mate or your loved one or your brother or the neighbor down the street, can you envision them innocent? You, you, you know this is an attribute that you desire. You remember the first time, if you're over 25, you kind of have to have been around a little bit, but when, when you saw Toy Story 3 for the first time, my wife will not even watch the movie again. Because I know it's a cartoon, but it's when Andy, the guy who owns the toys, Andy goes off to college, and Melinda doesn't like that. She doesn't like little children going off to college. So it's a, it's a really sad story. I, I, was, I was really um, kind of discouraged by it as well. Not discouraged. Um, I, I, lost, I lost so much in that because in the movie as well because you know this if you're over 25. That's why you have to, you're still enjoying going off and leaving the house, but, but when Andy's putting away his toys, when he went, and he's looking at Buzz, right, and, and Woody, and he's wondering if he's going to put them in the box or maybe give them away, you and I know that when he drives out of that driveway, that is the last chance, that's the last time of suspended animation of innocence that he will ever have. Now, admittedly, in the story, he's living you know, an Opie Taylor life on the Andrew Griffith show, okay? And some of us don't have that as our experience, but the, we're going back to the cartoon, okay? The cartoon. When Andy leaves, you, you and I know that that freedom that he has comes with responsibility and a lot of regret. And most of us, when we daydream, want to figure out how to get that back. And if he puts those toys away, he'll never pick them up again. And he'll know what he's lost when his son plays with those toys. When you envision the people that you care for and pray for and love, I'm just trying to give you kind of a picture of of what God has for us. You and I, grown up with responsibility, but innocent, through and through, set apart the way we were meant to be, wholly driven towards an affection towards our Savior and our King. And God is faithful, he says. The one who called you is faithful to complete it. Why? How can we be so sure? Why do we rest about that being our end? Because God is the one who's doing it. You don't need to be repaired 
you need to kind of have your heart replaced. You don't need to get better. You need to get new. You can't fix this. God can, and he's telling you the one who called you is going to make this all better. You're going to make it with no shame and no guilt and no regret because it's not on your shoulders. There's a great story of Christian Bernard. He was the original guy who did the first heart transplants in Africa, right? And, and uh, when he was rather new to it, it was, it was surreal, absolutely surreal. He took a heart out of one person and, the, and put it into another person. And I think the second or third person that lasted quite some time when he came out of the operating room and he was resuscitated, right, the, the, the client, the patient, um, Dr. Bernard came to his bed and he says, well, how's, how, are, how are you feeling? And he, and he sat up on the side of the bed, stood up, and he says, I like it. It's working. <laughs> kind of a smart aleck. And so he went back and laid down, and, and he said, so the patient said, listen, Dr. Bernard, could you do this? Could I see that my, the old heart? Could I, do you still have it? He goes, yeah, I've got it in the back, sure, whatever. Okay. So, so he goes back and gets the heart. It's in a you know, glitter glass jar and hands it to the man, and the man's just staring at it. And it's at that moment that Dr. Bernard realizes how, you know, near miraculous the event was. He says in his memoirs, this is the first time any human being in all of history has ever held or seen their own heart. And the patient said, I'm glad I don't have this old heart. If you listen to the corruption, if you listen carefully to your own heart, you'll know your ambition, your hopes, your desires are not to make it better. You need something completely new. You can't paint over that rust and think you're going to get well. That's what Paul's saying here. He is praying not for better. He's praying for new. He's praying, you know, when you pray, here's how we apply this. You know, we, we pray for people to be made new all new. And sometimes we need additional breakthroughs after a resurrected soul has been placed in us. Sometimes we need kind of a new breakthrough moment, and we'll just pray for them to be complete, through and through sanctified, kept blameless, their whole spirit and soul and body. That's how we pray. We pray for innocence regained. That's a how a church should pray. Not bad. Now, here's how a church should act. We're going to look at three verses, three sentences, and we're going to get three little things to do. It's pretty simple, but we, you know, we need to do this as a church. If you're looking for a church, this is what it looks like. If we're going to be a church, this is what it looks like. Verse 25, how a church should act. Brothers, pray for us. Greet uh, one another with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord <laughs> to have this letter read to all the brothers. Three things, three sentences, pretty simple, First one, pray for us. Church, a church prays for each other. We, we, now we have a template on how to pray uh, effectively, and now he says pray for us. And, and here's the, do, do you hear who's asking for this prayer? This is Paul. The man is an apostle, and you know what he says? Hey, could you pray for us? Here's a person that has written most of the New Testament letters. The theology that runs around his head, we are still trying to fathom. And you know what he would ask us if he were to show up today? And he was going to leave town. He would say, hey, could you pray for us? 
He's a very strong person. I don't know if he, I don't think he was a very big person, but he took a lot of beatings. If you read his, some of his life story about shipwrecks and beatings with rods and that sort of thing, you, he, he can handle his own. You know what he says? He says, could you pray for us? If, if it is good enough for Paul, it ought to be good enough for us. We should ask for prayer. We should be praying for each other. Let me give you three simple applications on how to do this, okay? One is I really like to make prayer lists. This, so this, this choose five thing, I'm all for that because, uh, you know, don't laugh too loud, but I'm, I'm the person that walks out in the garage in his socks and wonders why he's out there. And, and, and I, it's not for, I know, why don't I have shoes on and why am I in the garage? And this helps me. And so I'll attach this to my phone or I'll put it on my dashboard. And I look for, look for opportunities to pray for people. Here's another way of praying for each other in the church because that's what the church does. If, you, if, if someone comes to your mind, a face, a name, comes to your mind, could you stop and, and, and just entertain this? That that's not you. That is God's Spirit telling you this brother, this sister, this, this comrade in the, in the body of Jesus Christ needs you to talk to God about him or her. And, and the more random and kind of queer it is, the more likely it is to be from the Spirit of God. So that's God telling you, you need to have a conversation and be concerned about someone. They need help because they're, they're getting dangerously close to something that could ruin their life. Now, what I would recommend is you just pull over right then on the side of the road and you say, God, I don't know why you're bringing up this person to me, but I want to I ask you and, and pray the Lord's prayer for them, right? Deliver them from temptation and deliver them from evil. Lord, provide for them daily bread. Just pray that for them. And, and if that's fine, then go back to the, uh, on your way home. And if you get home and, and their face is still rattling around inside your, your mind, if, they're, if, you're, if they're, uh, their essence won't leave you, right? then you call them. That's God's way of saying, great, you've talked to me about this. You need to talk to them about this. And it's a very strange phone call. It, it happens like this. And you, listen, you can find almost anyone where they live and what their phone numbers are. And, and you find them and you say, hi, hey, Jack, I know we haven't talked since college and everything, but I, I just wanted to tell you that I think God wants me to say hi. And just... And then just let it, just let it spill from there. It's, let, it's, it's an awkward phone call, and so there. You just get it out there in the first couple of sentences and, and leave it there. Because if it is a God thing, and honestly, it can often happen that way. The person's wanting to hear why you would call them. If, if you pray for those people that God brings to your mind, and then if, if it still doesn't stop the noise, then you call the person and you say, I think God wanted me to tell you hi. What, hey, what's, what's happening in your life? Now, listen, I've been on the receiving end of that phone call three times when I was on a very slippery road that was without traction and I was gliding with increasing speed to a very dark place. And someone from college that I hadn't talked to in over a decade called. And then I had a, 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 a person who had left our church years before called me. She called me and said, I am just saying hi. And friends, it is like a, a bolt of lightning hitting you on a clear blue day. It is invigorating. It is creepy. Okay? <laughs> I'm just telling It is creepy. 
But when you're on the downward slide, one of the problems that gets you there is you feel like you are absolutely alone in a very hostile situation. And, and when you get a, a phone call from a saint that says, God says, hi, it's, it's all, that, all that's sometimes needed to level that plane out a little bit and slow your descent. Do that. That's how you pray. It's what a church does. It's what a church does. Here's the second thing it does. It says, look, it, in verse it says, express your affection. Verse 26 says, greet one another with a holy kiss. It means, it means to be demonstrative, affectionate with one another. That's what it means. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Be demonstrably affectionate to one another. We're supposed to kind of be meeting weekly or so and saying, you know what? We made it another week. You know, I survived. I'm getting closer to the holiness that I was meant to be. You know, I've, I feel his presence more effectively. I, I got kind of, I lost a few rounds on Tuesday. And we greet one another. And, and contextually here, it says that there is no... Uh, socioeconomic differences, there's no eth- ethnic or, or racial differences, and whenever a church has those differences, they're not even the church anymore, right? And so he's just saying, look, everybody needs to show this affection. I think, I think there's a license for Greeks and Italians to say we've been doing it right all these years, right? So, and we could learn from these people, right, to show affection demonstratively, to encourage one another physically. The third thing it says to do besides praying and showing affection, it says read your Bible. And now he's, listen to the change in tone in verse 27. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to the church. So now he's poking us in the chest and saying, no, you have to do this. I would even, I would even say that if a church isn't teaching the Bible and applying the Bible, it's not even a church anymore. I don't know why they're meeting I've been to churches like that, and I, I, I don't know if they're just living off the architecture, or, but it's not a church anymore. The Bible is a compass that is pointing, you know, absolute north. It is the anchor that, that holds us steady in a storm. It is the ballast of our ship in times of wavering. It is, it is the absolute highest degree of revelation from God that we currently have. And, and I, I won't, I mean, we've talked about this in years past, but I, I won't go into the, the elaborate details of how God got this book to us and it, how it, is, it stands alone in comparison to other books that call themselves the revelation of God in accuracy and authentication. But, but let's just pretend half of it's true, shall we? What would you do if you had the revealed will of God to you that de- defines, absolute defines what is right and real and true? You read that and you apply it. That's what a church does. That's what, that's what it means. So how do you pray? You pray robust prayer that are essential to the nature of a human soul, that they are sanctified through and through, that they are kept or preserved blameless until they see their Savior again. That's a great way to pray. What does a church do? Well, it prays. It prays that way. It's affectionate towards one another. Um, and then and, and what does that say? It, it studies and applies the Bible. Now, look at the last thing. How is a church to hope? It's, it's real. It's, again, it's like a throwaway line if you're not careful, if you're not respectful. Verse 28, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He starts this, this letter with grace and peace. He's ending it with grace and peace. The peace 
of God, and now he's saying in the grace of the Lord Jesus. Grace means gift. Don't, don't think you're earning anything from God. Grace means gift. And then when it says grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, there's the two titles. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, it means extravagant, luxurious, overflowing, unrelenting gifts. How could I say goodbye to you? Oh, I hope Jesus just gives you gifts upon gifts of feeling of tranquility and peace and favor and beauty and intimacy. That you are, you are living outside of the boundaries of your dreams because of the grace of God. What do you want? What do you want? Think about this, really. What do you want? You get your silly little genie lamp and you rub it and you get three wishes and on your third wish you get a million wishes. Okay. You, and, and many of us would, would wish for comfort and, and peace. But who would you be? See, that's, I think that's what I'm asking. When, when we ask, what do you want? We go to adjectives or, or descriptive terms that are circumstantial. And this is saying, who would you be? Who do you imagine yourself to be? Because I think whatever your answer is, God himself would say, is that all? That's it? You're settling. Because in these six sentences, he says, I wish this for you, that you have the peace that God is that Christ provided, that the fullness, that the fullness of what that means and what you are meant to be is realized, that you arrive in the presence of God without a single blemish, blameless, and you're confident that that's going to happen because it's not your doing, it will be a heart change, and Jesus is the one doing that. He hopes that you would associate and find yourself in a group of people, it would be called a church, that are so fixated on loving each other that you pray serious prayers for one another. That you are outside the boundaries of your upbringing and your culture, and so you are affectionate, maybe to a blushing point. That you are fixated on the promises of God that have been revealed in the Bible. That the gifts of Jesus Christ are so spontaneous in the reception of your soul that they overflow in the enemies of your life. That's what he has for you. That's what you aspire to get. Don't settle for your dreams and your hopes. This is what God hopes for us. That's how Paul ends his letter. That's what Paul hopes for in a church. That is the definition. That's how to church. That's what we're trying to do here at Grace. I know, we're not there, but that's what we're trying to do. We'd love you to join us. We'd love you to be part of doing this in other people's lives. Let's pray to that end, okay? Lord Jesus, we ask that you would make us a church, a real church, a church like that. Just praise deep, soulish, 
you know, just these deep existential type prayers about our very essence becoming sanctified and set apart to perfection in the way you designed us to be. Oh, you grieve our bent and we entertain it. <laughs> I'd ask that we would grieve it and long for so much more. God, give us, give us a desire for our innocence regained. Responsibilities, but with innocence regained. Let us hope that you would be the provider of that. Lord, help us just be a church that encourages and is an affectionate and joyful and is living on the promises that you've granted us. We, we pray this with great hopes of anticipating that you would answer these prayers because they're according to your will. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about Grace, visit our website at grace360.org.